fueled by the outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What's up, guys? And tonight we are joined by Matt Amrine of the Fueled by the Outdoors staff. How's it going, Matt? I'm doing all right, guys. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, we're glad to have Chris back from COVID isolation uh, with his Ugh. freshly shaved head. Oh, God, dude. I had to go through go through some stuff. It's We're still kind of feeling some of the symptoms. It's crazy. Like, you'll wake up and you're like, I feel swell. And then six, eight hours goes by and you get to the middle of the day and you're like, I feel like trash. <laughs> and then somehow at the end of the night, you sort of come out of it. But it was not fun, man. We were kind of a little worried because my wife is pregnant, as a lot of you know. And um, she went to the freaking ER and I'm like tripping balls thinking, oh, shit, here we go. Mm-hmm. Chris had a great life. going. <laughs> here we are somebody's coming to take it away so yeah thanks for uh thanks for the prayers and everything well you're welcome and uh glad to have you back i know last week um other than me burping live on air um (laughs) which was which was the only guest that i had um you know i'm I'm glad to see you're back i'm glad that everything's getting better and you you know just stay healthy so (sighs) Oh, it should um, be good now. Yeah, yeah. Well, fingers crossed. That's uh, that's what it's going to. So, um, I guess uh, we were supposed to have Aaron on this week, but he he's uh, he was unable to. So to, he's uh, we're going to be about a couple weeks out now. But hopefully, he'll come on and talk uh, shop with us about guns and that kind of stuff. And uh, his his life as a gunsmith and his kind of philosophy for the outdoors. But um, tonight we're going to actually talk a little bit about we took a break from deer season and we talked about turkey hunting two weeks ago which i'm you know pretty much just dead set on that's it at this point i'm i don't think i'm getting another deer um but we've we've decided to talk a little bit about something that's probably pretty good to start looking at now for the fall in the upcome in this upcoming year and it has to do with habitat um food and just ways to get deer that most guys wouldn't necessarily look at in certain areas so we're going to talk be talking about small parcels and how big deer can live on these things or um they might be moving through and you can get an opportunity at these uh at a, at a nice buck so i don't personally have any experience with uh super small parcels um i think the smallest one that i i mean the smallest one that i really hunt is about 20 acres in the front of that farm that i hunt but in terms of smaller parcels you and matt have had success on it and i believe uh josh luck has as well yeah so it's it's really interesting and this you know everybody hears me talk about this stuff And they think that I'm like super passionate about it. But this is where like the corning deer really hits home for me. Um, Because you you see on the internet where somebody will be like, oh, there's a corn pile hunter. He's got a feeder or whatever. And it's like, what do I do with my 
you know, seven acre tract of land where there's an acre and a half or two acres of woods. What do you, what do you do? There's no oaks. There's no, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? So, uh, I do have a lot of, um, experience with small parcels. That's one of my, I, I feel like I've started to really, uh, like that's my niche or whatever in hunting. And like you turn me loose on giant tracks. Sure. I can find deer. Great. La di da. It's very difficult for me to get on big deer on a big track. But when I have yards and dogs chained up and mm -hmm. certain things that I know about that I can use, um, and you know, there's pinch points everywhere. Uh, it, it's definitely interesting. So, um, I've found success and then my boy here has like literally overcome the freaking social media algorithms mm -hmm. to kill deer. I mean, like the, there's nobody that's had it this tough when you talk about killing a mature deer, which I'll say, so I'll say as first big buck, which I mean, it's basically like a, like a 140. I think it was like 138, 139. Wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, I think 138 yeah. something. But yeah. I mean, that was his first buck and what your second or third deer? Third deer. Third deer. Okay. And second bow kill? Uh, yes. So, yeah. So second. there you go. So, um, and then he follows it up with a target buck, the buck, the only buck on the property that he wanted to shoot. He shot beginning of November and just like, it was nothing. And I'm just like, damn man. And I, you know, I got this guy into hunting and that on all of a sudden I'm like, man, this guy's putting me to shame. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's been really interesting to watch him develop and learn from, from myself as well as, you know, a lot of people on the internet and stuff. And hell, he's taught me a bunch of stuff since hunting. I think he started deer hunting in uh, 2016, I believe. Yeah. Would have right? been fall, fall of 2016. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Because your first, but it took you, took you, uh, you did 2016 and 2017 and it was, you know, it was a really rough learning curve and, and he and I were both learning to mm -hmm. preface this, like, and we still are, you know, any, anybody who's decent and anything's always learning, but, um, we went, uh, into 2018 and, uh, man, we really delivered that year. <laughs> um, I want to say it was veterans day weekend. He killed his deer. And what, what kind of acreage you working with Matt? Uh, so the properties, I guess, 19 acres. And then my dad's property butts up to that, which is another five, but it's, not really huntable. I mean, yeah. there's maybe half of an acre that you could, I have seen deer on before, but I mean, it's literally a bowl in the middle of a, some driveways. So, um, the, the main spot is no more than 20 acres, but it's, I mean, there's neighborhood on three sides and then where the property lines and boundaries are, it's, I mean, there's not a lot of options, which you basically have a ridge to hunt. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's I've I've gone strictly to only hunting the ridge yep. over there after learning. And I think that's to kind of preface this whole conversation and to give some background there. I mean, I started this is the only 
private that I have access to still mm-hmm. since I started. So four years and I'm just now figuring out kind of how, okay. So if I saw this here or on the trail cam, it showed me this. I, I now I'm understanding how the whole property works better. And I don't even know how I saw deer the first two years I was over there because between all the outside pressure, which we'll talk about, and then me just being stupid, I should have never seen it. I mean, I got stupid lucky to even see deer over there sometimes. So I would say small parcels are not the best for a beginner by themselves that has no clue what they're doing. Although you'll learn quicker that way, I think. Yeah, I agree. Learning clear, the learning curve is steep. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's, you know, it's funny because I think that it takes kind of a special person to learn, uh, to give you an example. Um, I did not learn that fast. I've hunted small parcels since I was a kid basically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's taken me years to figure all this out and it helps, you know, I did everything by myself. And when you have buddies who are what I would call good hunters to talk to about this and you put your minds together, it gets the wheels turning better. Um, the people that I hunted with then were not good hunters. And, uh, one of them was one that I learned from and you would literally go hunt the same tree every time. And then hell by mid November, you weren't seeing anything. I mean, it was just, it was dead and you didn't, Mm -hmm. I never wasted my time hardly, um, you know, going out late season, but I also didn't really understand how to hunt late season. So, uh, but that being said, um, I mean, I'm kind of catching up to where Matt is basically too, but Matt Mm -hmm. started in, you know, 2016. So, um, it's, it's not as easy as people, you know, people talk about, the whole feed thing. And then the other thing I hear is that residential deer are stupid Mm -hmm. and that they're used to humans. And I just, I laugh my ass off at that Mm -hmm. because that is such a stupid, uneducated comment. They go into the city where you're not allowed to hunt at all. Yeah. And these pet deer are down there and they think that's what it's like and is not like that at all. It's not like that at all, in, in, especially in suburban areas where you have these smaller parcels. There's, um, gosh, what's their name? Seek One Outdoors. Oh, uh, dude. They they hunt like the suburbs in Georgia and like they do things like we're, we're going to talk a little here a little bit about microplots and that kind of stuff. But they do things where like they're hunting one to two acre plots in the suburb in suburban um, Atlanta. And you might get a one, you might get one shot at a deer on these properties, but these deer know where they're going, how to get there, yep. where's their bedding, which places are safe. You know, deer aren't dumb animals. Um, oh. Do they make mistakes? Yes, that's how most of them end up on a wall. But, you know, the reality of it is, is that they're not dumb animals and you're, you're not just going to walk up and like shank one when you're you're hunting right. a small parcel or something like that. And in fact, like you guys are saying, most small parcel deer are either transit and they're going through or um, they're 
in a neighboring parcel that they are using as bedding and they're coming in and out every once in a while. Uh, There's, there's a lot of room for error, but there's um, while the margin for success is slim, there's, you know, you can reap a reward. That's, that's that much better. So you talked about seek one. Yeah. They're hunting. I believe it's in Alfreda, Georgia. Yep. And that is basically Indian Hill, Ohio. Yep. It's like super rich area, you know, a lot of, lot of money. And, um, I, I have no idea how that dude gains permission. Honestly, he must be the best salesman in the world. Cause think about it. If somebody that makes hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, do they care about your $500 or a thousand dollars to come hunt their place? No. They no. laugh at you and wipe their ass for that. So how is this dude gaining permission to hunt these places? So I so when he did it, he did an interview not too long ago with Mark Kenyon. I guess it is a long time ago. It's about a year ago now. He did an interview with Mark Kenyon and he basically said he goes, I get told no a lot. And he goes, I mean a lot, a lot. And he goes, and I will go back and knock on doors after I've been told no before by this person to see. Uh, what what the uh, ability is to still go and hunt this stuff but he was making he, I mean he's, he goes there and he knocks on these doors and basically says he wears a like a nice shirt uh, doesn't wear a hat and just kind of like tells him what he's there for and you know just tries to be as respectful as possible uh, the thing that he said that he goes through if I'm not mistaken a lot though is uh, trail cameras and they had to um I think on one of them he said they had to like start fashioning like big lock boxes on their trail cameras because guys were coming on the properties and just taking them and then selling them at pawn shops and stuff oh yeah that's rough and you know i mean you you've seen uh, the deer that these guys have killed i mean these are uh, are big 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 deer like these are proof that all the people all the people that talk about how oh you gotta have this or you know Ohio has big deer because, or Kansas, you know, we can't have it in Michigan or, or, uh, Georgia or what, no, you can, you have to let them grow up and getting them to grow up. It doesn't hurt when I say this, nobody crucify me, but that is a bow hunting only area Yes, it is within that loop. And so those deer are able to grow up, which is a lot of reason why this small parcel stuff looks and appears so great people see the pictures that i post of some of these deer and they're like oh my god and it's like well you know you're not allowed to gun hunt there generally Mm -hmm. and then when you get past that you're you're talking about obstacles that most hunters will never face at all right let alone on a daily basis which we'll go ahead and dive into so first things first we'll just, we'll start off with how we're going about getting these deer on camera and and knowing about these deer, which, you know, you still scout like anybody else, you Mm -hmm. know, if you're hunting. Um, So to to give you an idea, um, the properties I've been successful on, uh, let's see, I have a right around, we'll say a 10 acre piece and then another roughly seven acre piece and then another that's probably 12 or 13 and so you still 
look for the surrounding agriculture mm-hmm. and try to look at these deer in the summer, uh, late winter before they've shed. Um, so you're still scouting, you know, you're still using glass and stuff to look at these deer. We're sticking out trail cams, but it's a lot different than you do on public and stuff. And these giant tracks. Now you can still run bait piles on a big track, but they have so much room to roam. You gotta, you gotta kind of shrink it down a little bit. So on a small parcel, you know, if that deer's in that corn pile or whatever you're putting out a half Mm -hmm. hour after daylight, he was probably within distance of that pile somewhere where you could hunt uh, around daylight at least. So, um, using a lot of, a lot of bait, uh, scrape stuff works pretty good, but I mean, that's still, you know, scraping a lot of that stuff is situational and nighttime. And, uh, you got to have the right spot to put scrapes. You can't just make a scrape anywhere and then bucks pour into it. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And if you're, if you're hunting a suburban area, one of the important things to remind yourself about this kind of stuff too. And Matt, I don't know if you can speak to this, uh, maybe a little bit more than I can, but, uh, there's certain areas that like the deer eventually become habituated to where they will not cross into certain areas. So scrape placement, um, it becomes integral and that kind of stuff too. Cause you don't want to be putting scrapes in areas that these deer are not traveling to or up in more, I guess, human trafficked areas or things along those lines. Well, I, I think that's one of the, I guess, reasons that I think I've actually had the success that I've had on this ridge that I hunt is I haven't had to make scrapes. The scrapes are there. And then, I mean, I came in one, I think I hunted a Sunday evening and then went back on a a Wednesday or a Saturday morning. I can't remember either Wednesday evening or Saturday morning. And there was like five new scrapes along this line that had opened up just in a few days. And that's when I kind of knew, okay, some something's in here. I think that might actually be when I killed the buck last year. Um, Cause I killed him on a Wednesday. I just went after work and I noticed coming in, there was like, I, I knew there was two main scrapes along this trail and there was about six or seven right there. And I actually killed him on one of the fresh ones. I just took a little pee on my way in and hit a couple of them and he stopped and was right at the one. So, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't have hunted there beforehand had I not had a couple of years to figure out, okay, this mm-hmm. is a, a main travel corridor. There should be a scrape here. Cause that scrape was there um the year before also so it's one of those things if you don't have to make those kind of things i would say don't just because when you get in there and start messing around with stuff they're familiar with that's when you start making them go oh this yep. this isn't normal because they're used to people but they're not used to people in certain places right and that's where i think i got in trouble the first couple of years there because i've got over a hundred pictures and I stopped categorizing them, uh, just of trespass, like not necessarily, I'll say trespassers, but people that are back there that are not me shouldn't probably be back there. Um, you know, it it could be neighborhood kids playing in the woods or whatever, which we all did as kids. So Mm -hmm. I have some sympathy there, but 
you know, when you start seeing the amount of traffic, I, just in one year, I've got over a hundred people from, well, not different people, but a hundred different times when somebody was back in there during hunting season. So, I mean, that's a lot of pressure when there's no hunting pressure. So, that is so much pressure. And yes. I can't, there's no amount of words that can put it into perspective or whatever. Like every single time you go into a place that you intend to hunt, you have now put pressure on it. I don't care what boots you have or scent killer or cover scent or whatever. You have pressured that area. If the deer are not there for 12 hours, you have still pressured that area. And they know, man, they, I had, so that half rack buck that I had Mm -hmm. at one of the small parcels that I hunt that has like the fork on one side is a good deer look to be a mature buck. Couldn't really tell. So I thought, well, I'll hunt him and we'll see. And he was coming in like literally right after dark, uh, every freaking evening for like five, six evenings in a row. I went in there. I didn't see him. And that was in like November. I have not had that deer on camera since. Really? Yes. And then, so I had another 10 pointer. That was probably 140, 145. He disappeared. Have not seen that deer since I haven't had him on camera since before November. Um, Certain deer. I believe are uh, finicky and stuff. Like when they feel pressure at all, they're gone. And that's the reason why they live. I mean, you want to tell me, tell you're blue in the face that they're pets and all that, and they're easy to kill, go kill one. <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> one of the things, one of the things that I will say, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with our good buddy, Zach Kaiser. He talks about how people talk about how easy it is and all that. And he'll, let them come hunt and pay them $1,500 or whatever. If they kill a certain buck or whatever, and he'll give them seven days or what, I mean, go ahead and try it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is freaking tough. They feel pressure like you can't freaking imagine. Um, so it may, you know, Matt's talking about, and we all know Rip Van Winkle. That's what we'll call him. (laughs) Uh, this old man, goes back there and walks and walks and just i mean he's old he doesn't care he's lived his life i mean the dude literally got in my face and was talking shit to me after i told him he shouldn't be there and does not care doesn't care at all and i'm thinking to myself like this dude's like 80 plus years old supposedly 84 according to okay 84 so 84 and he looks every bit 84 he's not a stout 84 it's walking with a cane and the whole nine. And I'm here to tell you, if I was 84, I ain't trying to talk to no younger guy by 50 years, you know, because you never know who you're talking to. Obviously, I'm not going to break the dude's legs, but. He talked to me like that when I was carrying a firearm. <laughs> I yeah. had a firearm in my hand and he's telling me, go ahead, call the police. I don't care. Wouldn't yeah. be the first time. It's like, oh, OK, well, I can see where this is going. <laughs> It's It's like usually a good response. It wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. So when you have that and, and 
I mean, a hundred times, a hundred pictures of other people. Those are the people that he's getting pictures of. Yeah. When you think about it, just like a deer, they're not always going by his camera. No. So you're talking about a shitload of pressure on a tiny area, man, that, that makes it tough to kill deer. Well, you know, and the other would, thing, people will camp out back there and have fires and drink a six pack down yep. by the creek. Because yep. I've seen the fires and the leftover beer cans from the six pack. It's like, <laughs> it, it's just, it's a different type of thing. Like, I don't know how you can even, if you don't know, if that's not something you've dealt with, you can't fathom the, the, it's not even pressure. It's just the distractions that are there for the deer and for you. It's exactly, exactly. When when you guys are talking about this, it reminds me of that scene in Step Brothers where Dale goes up to his drum set room and the, and the drumsticks are like (laughs) slightly off. He's like, did you touch my drum set? (laughs) No. He's like, why are y'all sweaty? I was watching cops. Um, I mean, a deer, a deer knows when you've been in a place and, you know, whether you have, you know, like you said, you scent killer, whatever cover sense, like they're, they're going to know. Um, uh, I, the, the small piece that I hunt, uh, last year, I had a herd of cattle that all of a sudden decided to start moving through there after they broke through the farmer's fence. And guess what happened? Like it was in and out. The deer weren't coming in because they knew they all went nocturnal and it completely messed with the area. Not to mention they ate 300 pounds of corn, um, which, which wasn't great either. So, you know, in, in those smaller areas, like you said, Matt, until you've dealt with those situations, it's a completely different ball game. It, it, it's pe- people, like to complain about like public land hunters, like walking through their sets or, or like that kind of stuff. When, when you're on a small parcel in some of these areas, having people move in and out of those things can be far more devastating to a hunt than, you know, some guy who's trying to get to his stand 400 yards away. I've had that happen too. So yeah. I feel like it's anywhere. Yeah. I mean, but in this case, like I sent these guys a video from the stand. Yeah back in uh i think it was late november but it was one of the neighbors down the road with his two kids three dogs off leash down (laughs) in the creek the kids are screaming like little kids like four or five Mm -hmm. screaming their heads off in the culvert pipe like that lets the creek go underneath (laughs) Mm -hmm. the road then the three dogs go take off after a different lady comes down jogging that there's a service road that splits this property by the way so it comes back to this like pump station. And so okay. everybody in the neighborhood uses it as their own little paradise. So they'll come jog back here or walk like the uh, old Rip Van Winkle does there. And so I got three people, dogs, and then a lady. And then the lady warns a different guy walking on her way out. And I'm watching all this from up on top of the ridge about the dogs that are off leash because he's got his dog. So I've yeah. got five people four dogs three of them off leash <laughs> kids screaming at the top of their lungs and i mean at that point what do you do i mean i yeah. you know you get there at six and freeze your butt off till nine thirty, and you're ready for action to happen and then that's what you get and this is like yeah. okay well i completely wasted my saturday so uh, and i've had more sits i i would venture to guess i've had more of those sits over there than i have where even if i didn't see a deer just 
there wasn't something that completely screwed it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. But, and it's funny. Well, I don't know if it was the first or second year. Uh, every time he'd go to this damn place, like the people would come out, like there's people splitting firewood at like six thirty in the morning, freaking building decks. And you're like, and I mean, rain, shit or shine on the mm-hmm. nastiest day where you're like, I guarantee nobody's going to be out. And then, here comes Matt with like three stories oh, yeah. where like God hates him. The and guys want him building the deck in January when it was 19 degrees and it was seven, like wow. nine in the morning. I remember it all. Cause I was like, this is, you've got to be kidding me. That's not even, this isn't real life. And I mean, they, the whole, the whole thing, the deck, the complete experience, they had the radio going with like some old Bon Jovi kicking super loud. Like, just the most crazy stuff. It's like, oh, well, here it is again. Get down, go home. <laughs> so, I mean, in, in, in these small areas, like we said, you can have a lot of distractions, but you can also have a lot of success. And, you know, as, as Chris pointed to a little bit earlier, there's a couple things that you can do in these smaller areas to attract in deer. Uh, one, one thing was we talked about this, I forget what episode it was when we had Don Higgins on here, but he made the comment that you should be working to build habitat, uh, most of the time instead, instead of necessarily building up food sources. Um, and in some of these areas that are smaller, you may have an area near your property that you're hunting that has access to bedding or has access to food so you want to give the deer a place that they don't want to leave you want to keep you want to attract them back over to the property that you're going to be on so there's a number of different things that we that you know we each tend to do and chris you brought up uh some interesting things so i'll let you take those uh points because you can speak to them better than i can so just to kind of hit on some stuff um Obviously, the first thing, you know, when we're talking about small parcels, a lot of times it's guys like myself and Matt who hunt a specific deer mm-hmm. or a couple specific deer. If you've got, you know, two deer that are over 150 or something, clearly you're not passing one for the other unless it's immature or something. So that being said, um, we're targeting big deer on these small pieces of property. So first things first, we're going to do mineral I'm not a guy who thinks that mineral is Jesus and makes your deer grow like he turns water into wine. Um, But I am a firm believer that it keeps your deer healthy. And it's something that you can't just throw out in August. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now is the time where you have to really, if you want to control antler growth, you got to, you got to do it now. So you got to put out feed you got to put out mineral and they have to have water too. If you live in a Northern state where shit's frozen up really, Breaks really bad, open. put a, no, put a damn bird bath out there with a heating element in it. I didn't even I, think about I, that. I would imagine. I mean, could you imagine being a deer in Wisconsin, Northern Wisconsin and finding a bird bath with hot chocolate? Basically. I mean, <laughs> that, uh, that would literally like warm your deer up and help them. But, but it, gives them a fresh water source to Mm -hmm. be able to access and not have to pound through ice or, 
you know, whatever. So well, um, we, we, we want to be clear about something, too, before before people like go out and do any of these things. Make sure you check your regs. Yeah, check your regs. <laughs> I always check your regs <laughs> before yeah. you do some of this stuff, because uh, there's some things that are completely legal down here. And there's some things that are completely legal up north that uh, like that we don't interchange on. So make sure. Um, like that sounds like a hell of an idea. I've never even thought thought of a bird bath with a heating element. I learned it from a wildlife photographer. Huh. And that dude, that dude had the best backyard you ever seen. Mm-hmm. He had deer tearing his yard up, making scrapes and tearing up his trees. And but he also like I'm pretty sure that was his living mm-hmm. because he would like put a hundred pounds of apples and corn and sunflower seeds and i mean he had every deer this was in michigan and then they went for like a complete ban of baiting Mm -hmm. or feeding the animals not really baiting because he's not killing them he could feed the deer by hand no shit jeez he would walk up and hold carrots and cut up apples and and the deer would let him feed them and you could always tell this is what this is where anybody who thinks suburban deer is stupid they knew that guy's scent and they knew they could trust him. When people would ask to go with him, it never worked out. The deer would not even be visible for them. Hmm. Think, think about that. So yeah. anywho, um, back to our, we get a few rabbit holes here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so one of the things uh, that I find interesting that a buddy, couple of buddies of mine do uh, Pierce and Luke um, they do little like micro plots and, and basically, um, the thing they did this year is they had standing corn mm-hmm. and they went and bought like, I don't know how many pounds of winter wheat seed and threw it out under the corn so that it could, you know, get worked into the dirt or whatever. Germinate it's do. Get the dirt. Yeah. Germinate and everything. And, and so then farmer comes along cuts the corn creates sunlight and all that and the winter wheat is coming up pretty good and uh it's pretty incredible they had pretty good success seeing deer out there and stuff so um the other thing is obviously feeding you can do protein corn mix or Mm -hmm. sunflower seeds and all that there's all kinds of stuff all kinds of you know the candy blocks and candy licks and stuff but uh, I always go back to corn. I tried peanuts and peanut butter this year. Really wasn't attracted the squirrels pretty well. Oh man. Squirrels love them things. Um, really wasn't a, a big deal. Like I thought it was going to be, but I have heard people killing deer off of, you know, they'll buy peanuts. I don't know what kind of crack cocaine those people sell to afford that, but I can't afford bags of peanuts. I can afford bag of peanuts you're not a texas roadhouse (laughs) yeah (laughs) freaking five guys burgers and fries up in here so um you know you got the micro plots you got the the protein and the corn and stuff like that and of course you want to keep mineral out that helps you really inventory uh your deer herd on these small plots and not have to go in there at all uh for for months at a time especially if you do it like me like this year i'm just going to put so I mix my own. I'm going to put out 150 pounds of mineral. And wow. that way I'm covered for a few months. That way I just stay the hell out and we're good. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the feeding stuff that we're talking about. 
I mean, it, it's important to look at where you place that stuff too on these properties. Like I know I said that earlier, but you know, the property, it, it's not a small parcel, but a property that I hunt up in uh, a different County when I come to Ohio, um, it's, it's an older farm. And for whatever reason, they had dumped something in the soil mineral wise. I have no idea what it is. I would love to know, but it made the soil like black and fluffy uh, in this area. And the deer are in there just like, it looks like hogs went in there and rooted or rooting truffles. Um, minerals are integral. I can't say that word right tonight. Inter integral that right integral um, to antler growth, to, to survivability and, and all this stuff, you know, we, we have this discussion that people will put mineral down in, you know, summer months, not thinking that if you put it down in winter months, those are going to be attracted to that too. They're going to be making sure that that, stuff gets into the next year's young as well, which yeah. is a, which is an important thing uh, for survivability for animals when they're coming out. Because if you're get if you're giving them the correct nutrients, it's just like anything else. You know, if, if you're giving it to them in utero, it's going to, you know, come out better and help starting off as yeah. early as you can. You have a head start. The other thing I think people don't realize is a lot of the antler growth in these deer is is very controlled by like stress and recovery mm -hmm. from the stress of the rut and uh hunting pressure yep. and other predatory pressure and uh all kinds of stuff so and then of course there's weather which we don't get you know around here we don't get enough weather to really have a winter kill haven't anymore it was, yeah. it was it was nice tonight i mean it would have been a heck of a nice night to be on the stand yeah um but with well, that being said, if you put out feed now, like I have a deer that will, without a doubt, long as nothing bad happens, I'll be hunting that deer. So that being said, I will have mineral out as soon as deer season is over. I should have already put it out, but here we are. Um, and I'll feed that deer corn. I'll just take a few bags of corn over there each week or something just to make sure that we get to, you know, mid to late April when there's plenty of browse and all that for them to hit. And then I'll not probably feed any corn because that's not something that he needs in his diet at that point. He's made it through the winter and we'll, we'll let him do his natural thing. I'll just keep mineral out. So, but if you start that right now, you're going to help your bucks. And not only that, like Rick said, you're going to help those does out in utero and once those does give birth, a lactating doe will pound the hell mm -hmm. out of a mineral site. It's insane. Those are the ones that are digging the holes when you yeah. put the mineral out yep. and then all of a sudden it's a damn grave site. Um, and then the other thing that's really crazy that I've learned. So I have farms around here locally, and then I have one out in like the central eastern south central eastern however you say it pennsatuckiana uh, area pennsatuckiana um <laughs> where it's it's hill country and like i'll get every deer in the area every single day on a mineral site around here i don't really care that much reason being i think we have a lot better like more mineral rich soil out mm -hmm. there they don't have that the soil is trash it's like rock and clay basically so 
Um, so yeah, mineral sites, huge. Uh, we kind of hit on pressure a little bit. Um, nobody can tell you more about pressure than one Matt Amrine. Um, <laughs> I mean, to, to overcome that and his other deer, just to sort of give you guys an idea of what we're working with. We don't like to like brag or anything like that. We're just, it's a good way to describe something for those that haven't seen it. Uh, his second buck went right around that 150 mark. Was he an 11, Matt? He, well, he was a 10 with a little kicker, I think. So, yeah. A nubbin, as you call? Yep. Okay. Um, and then I have, so, well, we have Josh, uh, I almost said Josh Fox, um, Josh Luck, who two years in a row has killed a couple of nice, you know, mid-130s mm-hmm. bucks, um, which the last buck, I still don't think he scored it right. I swear to God, that thing's got to push 140. But with that being said, I'm not sure I could have passed that deer that he shot this year. That, that was a pretty damn good deer. It's a nice deer. And and he's hunting an incredibly small parcel. He took me to it. It's a it's the most gorgeous setup you could have. The the different ways you can access mm-hmm. this place are phenomenal, which we'll go ahead and segue into our next uh just before you go completely away let me throw in one thing on food before we get off of that and okay we've had this whole conversation (laughs) on food and mineral and what we would be putting out on our properties and small parcels well the thing to remember typically if you have a small parcel there are a lot of smart small parcels around there and I think yes. one of the things that I finally put some more puzzle pieces on this year because I heard the gunshots, um, I, <laughs> I noticed all the, all the deer just kind of disappeared a couple days before gun season started, a couple days before muzzleloader season. They'd only come in at two in the morning, you know, like what's going on here. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure your neighbors aren't also putting out corn piles and mineral sites and food plots because that can uh, so what i figured out is if i put corn out for like you know november try and concentrate some does to get some bucks in there and then don't for the two three weeks following the rut or after gun season before muzzleloader well those deer stop showing up looking for that corn but if the neighbor you know mile down the way or down the creek or wherever has that corn out now getting ready for bringing the grandkid to you know do muzzleloader or gun season or youth weekend or whatever those can pull your deer away too so for those people that say the deer disappeared the deer went nocturnal which used to be me three four years ago Mm -hmm. i think i just have competing pressure in another form which is not necessarily pushing deer it's drawing deer so keep that exactly that's 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 a very good point matt because you know, deer are going to be up during the day somewhere. Like the the deer, like the deer aren't going to sleep all the way through the day. Like they're going to get up, they're going to move around. So that means they're up somewhere. And if, like, you just made an excellent point. Um, if a mile down the road, or you know, four doors down, somebody's got an oak tree dropping acorns, or they've got a feeder out, or you know, whatever. Um, you know, that they, that they've got out, 
um, it can draw your deer away and then they'll come back to yours in the middle of the night because they know that maybe there was a little extra pressure in there. So they want to be safe. So, you know, keep that in mind, folks, when you're when you're doing this stuff, this is an important part of scouting and knowing the areas that you're going to be hunting at is knowing the surrounding areas just as well, because um, I mean, I had that happen. Gosh, when was that? Uh, when was during late gun uh, in Ohio and, and muzzleloader? I looked up and over the crest of the hill, there's a blind sitting there that I didn't I, I'd never seen. I'm like, huh, that's weird. And it, it's straight across a field from me. And guess what? Deer weren't showing up. Why aren't deer showing up? Well, because there's a blind there. And then the guy behind us on the property uh, across the fence line, he's putting bait down too. So the deer are going to move where they feel safer. And if they, you know, they're winding you in certain areas or they think that they have a better shot, a better chance of being shot somewhere, they're not going to come near it. Agreed. Um, so to get back into what I was sort of segueing into is access. And I feel like this is becoming more and more popular. I started changing my access up back in 20, 2016. It was, um, I just, I finally, so one of the small parcels that I've found success on, um, it's really small. It's under, 10 acres and uh, to give you an idea I've killed two of my biggest three deer there 171 and three eighths uh, 14 pointer back in 2018 mm-hmm. and then in 2012 I killed what I call my first truly big deer uh, it was 141 uh, inch 11 pointer and uh, he, he got there through time count and mass he doesn't have crazy width or crazy beams or mm-hmm. anything like that no tall tines he just he's super thick and um so this deer uh you know i'm i'm just not seeing the amount of big deer in this place and i started getting them on camera and i'm like well they're here okay because i didn't really run cameras mm-hmm. super religiously in deer season I would run them through August and into September. And once they lost their velvet, I really didn't give a shit. And that's where I screwed up. I quit running them. And as Matt said, other people running corn piles. And that's where, again, you know, people make fun of you for baiting, but it's like, how do you compete with that guy and that guy and that guy and that? Well, you got to do something. So um, I start running these cameras during season and I'm like, why am I not seeing these freaking deer? I'm getting daylight pictures when I'm not here. What the hell? So then I'm thinking, all right, let's park in a different spot and access completely different. Mm -hmm. The first time I did that, and I'm talking like I came in from a completely different spot that I had really probably never done before. And I was in my stand for probably maybe 20 minutes. And I heard something coming and this is, I can tell you the date. This is October 10th, 2016. And it's pretty early in the day. And I hear something coming. I'm like, Oh, it's probably a stupid doe or some babies. Generally it's the fawns that hit a corn pile Mm -hmm. first. And I was, I could see the corn pile and 
if I was lucky, maybe even shoot the corn pile. But the idea was to intercept the deer on the way there, which is a lot of times our strategy, right? So um, I turn around and look. And at 17 yards, I had around 145-inch eight-pointer, straight eight, gorgeous deer. And I'd already told myself I was going to pass him. I didn't believe that he was mature. And I live-fed him on Facebook as he went into the corn pile. Okay, I remember this deer. Yep. I I mean, I just sat there and studied him and watched him. And, I mean, he went over and smelled – all around that corn and just super meticulous about what he was doing the whole time. And he's a three-year-old buck. So I had an encounter with every single big deer I had on camera on that farm that year. And a lot of it was because I changed my access up. And just because you change it, start going in a different way, you got to keep in mind, the deer are going to figure that way out. Yeah. So you can go back to the old one a couple times or even try a couple other different ones. And that's where some of these farms can be kill zones because of the access. Now, farms where, you know, give you a perfect example, these poor people like ourselves that also have micro parcels in the middle of farmland mm-hmm. where it's completely flat. Well, all a buck's got to do is put his back to the wind and sit on the other side of the woods where he can see he can smell anything from behind him and see anything out in front so unless you come in from an amazing angle from the side you're screwed you'll never kill that deer unless he comes cruising through so uh, access is huge and i want to actually i want matt to tell his story about access from his first buck because this is like again this is going to sound really easy it's freaking not. So don't let it get in your head that this was easy, but he did make it easier on himself. And it was a really genius way to kill a nice deer. Go ahead and tell that, Matt. Well, I don't know if I can do it justice to live up to that, but uh, it, yeah, I mean, it. so once I started figuring out on this small piece of land, where are the deer coming from? Where are they going? Because once and that's what kind of threw me off and took a couple of years to figure out, which I think is why I didn't kill it. I mean, I passed some nice bucks, but, or nice bucks for a first time deer hunter. Um, but I would get pictures of ridiculous deer in August and I'm sitting there. Well, there's been, a, I mean, there was probably four or five that no question in my mind, shooter all day long. Nobody's going to pass them up. And I'd never seen, never saw one of them in person. And I'm like, why are they? I mean, the one I, we saw when the two were in there was a bullwinkle and that other one that was like a straight gorgeous 10. Uh, I mean, you could see they like just rolled out of bed. They had burrs and crap all over them, like yeah. leaves and everything. Yep. And all those. Yeah. And came yep. into mineral. Like, uh, I think it was a trophy rock. And so I'm thinking like, okay, those deer live here. Like, and you're telling me, you know, Hey, they're probably bedded within 75, hundred yards of that. And I'm thinking, well, okay, they could be here, here or here. That's gotta be it. Cause it's only so big. It's gotta be how they're doing it. And I think I wasted that whole year trying to hunt those deer kind of in that spot, failing to realize that 
well, that was August. Honeysuckles, crazy, all the leaves on the trees. This place, as soon as it rolls around into December and the honeysuckle leaves turn and, and go away, I mean, you can see from one end to the other and see everybody's backyard, too. I mean, it's I'm within 150 yards of, you know, at any given time, two or three houses in some spots. So uh, that I failed to register. And so access, I started figuring out, hey, I'm not seeing deer, but I had got one video and and for whatever stupid reason, I think it was 2017, I had a corn pile just kind of in a, and it, it was an easy place to get to. Nobody wants to drag 100, 150 pounds of corn deep through hills and everything else. So I just threw it pretty much across the creek down in the little uh, field, we'll call it a little field opening there, a little pasture, meadow, whatever. And uh, yeah, we won't say nobody, but go yeah. ahead. So, so I walked by, I had it on video mode and I walked by three does less than 25 yards in the dark. Obviously I was going in in the morning, no headlamp trying to keep it, you know, cause access, try to keep quiet and sneak in there. They watched me walk right by, never made a peep, didn't leave, just sat there, watched me the whole way, determined that since I was staying on the high trail going by them and not coming down into that little valley that I wasn't a threat and just let me go right on by and watched me the entire way. And then obviously it a couple pauses in between there, but they finished eating and then left because I had walked on down the pathway. <laughs> so once I saw that video, when I pulled the cards on the way out and I'm sitting there kicking myself, like, are you kidding me? I was that close to deer this morning. Cause of course I didn't see anything. That's it. And that's when I started figuring out, okay, I got to be able to see the corn if I'm going to put corn out here and go hunt in the mornings. And we had talked about that, about you not hunting mornings for that reason. Mm -hmm. So I got the bright idea of, well, hey, let's put the corn where I can see it when I park. That way, I mean, there's a pinch point here. I know deer come through here. It's They may not come here in the daylight, but let's see what happens. And so... Um, so close to the 62 house. yards was sorry <laughs> right that was my blind yards, was, the blind was 62 yards to the corner of the house uh i think the corn pile actually was more like 45 or something like that but anyway it was just in the middle of a little field kind of at the edge of the neighborhood um where they come through the only section of woods that splits the two roads and that's how they kind of branch off either going across the the one service road on up to bedding or back towards the creek and uh so i had corn out there and a couple cameras trying to catch like different ways they could be coming and finally got that first buck that i killed to like 138 i got him i can't remember when i want to say it was early october and i only got him a few times but in in daylight like the week before he was coming in checking that corn. And I don't think he was so much interested in the corn. He was interested in checking the does mm -hmm. that were pounding the corn. So he would, uh, come in every now and then, and I would park literally right there at the end of the, uh, road in the neighborhood and then check and make sure there were no deer at the corn and then walk into my blind. That was just kind of set up on the edge of the wood lot with a terrible brush job, like, three sticks a couple on sitting on top 
all the leaves <laughs> fell off two months ago. And uh, mm-hmm. he walked, <laughs> I mean, four yards, five yards past the blind, straight into the corn. Twenty, I had it 25 yards in front of me um, and then shot him broadside. And he went maybe, which I didn't think about this part. So thank God those uh, mm-hmm. two-inch whitetail special Grim Reapers didn't let him go very far because he was running. I mean, he stopped about five yards, five, six yards from the fence line and then kind of stumbled backwards and crashed. Uh, I think it was like 17 yards from the corn pile. He ran about 50 because he did a circled back. But he, I was like, oh, I don't know what mm-hmm. I would have done if he would have made it, you know one of these two, three, 400 yard deals. I mean, he yeah. could have been God knows where if he would have gone for So yeah. did not think about that one, which is what made it easier to move back to the middle of the property where I knew that if he ran in any direction, you know, a couple hundred yards, there was still a chance that I didn't have to go ask for permission to uh, trail. Yeah. So, but. yeah, that's actually another good, point you make um in a setting like that a lot of times if it's just one property owner like you're on a big farm and you're on the you know the fence row that's i could see that being even if you're on a small property next to like a big farm or parcel but i mean you can't go 80 yards and then oh Mm -hmm. well go knock on that door hey can i walk through here and then go another 40 yards and then oh we're at another property you know because you cross 50 properties if he goes 300 yards Right. Yeah, that that definitely makes it tough. But it's, you know, again, I, I'm still amazed by that, because mm-hmm. if if you could just see like you pull up and he literally gets out of his truck and steps around a corner and he can see, I mean, he's eight yards from his truck or whatever, and he can see the corn up. Oh, no deer there slips in and he's there for a few minutes. Here comes the deer yeah. almost humping the blind and then he shoots him and then to boot you know makes a great shot on the animal which this is the first time that he had ever really had what i would call a true opportunity at a what i'd call a big buck i mean yeah he's we'll we'll stick some pictures up for you guys to see um when we post the podcast but um it's an absolutely gorgeous deer and to make that kind of a shot on that that deer that situation being yeah. very very green and having a sort of a monkey on your back to boot it's kind of kind of cool so but uh man that's that's one of my favorite sort of access stories there along with my own um and then like i said before josh has you know a hunter's dream when it comes to accessing his farm it's got multiple um Mm -hmm. multiple spots he can get in and and he's not walking through the other thing i have to say all these people push into these bedding areas that is like a super high risk high reward and more often than not Mm -hmm. you're just going to blow deer out i'm not saying don't hunt buck beds and be aggressive what i am saying is when you blow those deer out especially on a small parcel when you're on public land and you have 8,000 acres, oh yeah, you can go find the bastard. But when you're on 20 acres and you blow him out, he's, I mean, he could cross a county line that you couldn't hunt because your bag limit's full. Like, 
I'm being dead serious about that. Um, mm-hmm. You can't do that. And it's, that's Late the, season makes it tough. The tough part of this too, is it's yeah. super like, uh, you know, you play the waiting game, the patience game a lot, <clears throat> and you don't just go hunt everything and do all that. Like you really wait until you get them close to daylight or, you know, you hunt. Uh, one thing that I learned from my boy here is, is hunting, mm-hmm. um, opportunistic like weather patterns and stuff like when you got a good drop in temperature um barometric pressure at 30 or above uh stuff like that one of the things i've figured Mm -hmm. out is overcast days are great um but you just we can't say it enough you can't pressure small parcels this year um i did something so i'm a stay-at-home father and my wife doesn't get home till 4.30, all well and good in the early season, right? No big deal. Well, once you get to November, the rut, when everybody needs to be in their damn tree, well, I now have, so she gets here at 4.30. So I have Mm. from 4.30 basically until about 6, where I need to get somewhere, get in a tree, get camera stuff set up, and then be ready to hunt. Lots of times I'm getting set up at five, you know, whatever. So, um, and, and if I'm doing a hanging hunt or, or using a climber or something, shit, dude, I'm, I'm screwed. I'm hunting for 30 minutes. So what I did is hung what I call a quickie set. And I did that at a couple of spots where, I mean, 10, 15 feet off the ground hidden decently. But the, the whole point is like one spot, it was kind of like mass. I was, I think I was like 40, 45 yards from where I parked my truck and having bucks walk down the damn driveway, looking at the truck and all that. And I mean, it's just one of those things where, uh, if you can get in easily, quickly, quietly and have less pressure and get out the same way, you're going to see more deer longer. So, yeah. And I mean, like a, a lot of this entirely depends as well on what time of year you're hunting too. Like, you know, if you, if you hunt Kentucky where, you know, your season comes in and, you know, early September, like you, you want, like you absolutely want to ensure that you are coming in in different areas because I mean, you know, as well as I do opening day two years ago was 95 degrees and you're, you're going to run into stuff where like your scent's going to get spread around a whole hell of a lot more on the way in, even before you get into the stand. So it, it, it's important to look this stuff up, whether you are using Google Maps, whether you know the property and you have plat maps of it or, you know, use Onyx or HuntStand or whatever. Make sure you're, you're looking at this kind of stuff regularly. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I'll kind of hit on is um, kind of give you an idea of pressure as well. So me and Matt, along with some other guys went down to Kentucky to mm-hmm. hunt that 95 degree day. You're talking about opening day. Uh, it was 2019. Um, we went down and scouted prior to that a couple of times. And uh, I just, I went down there one day. Uh, I don't know if I went, by myself or with somebody or what but i think matt might have been with me hell i don't know anyway 
I'm pretty sure Matt was with me actually. Um, so we go down there and we set these cameras up and, you know, again, this is very different. I'm still relatively new to the public land thing at this point. And, uh, so I'm like, well, I can't use any kind of bait. So mm-hmm. let's just use our edges and our trails and all that. And this is hill country. So y- you don't find the sign in any hill country in early season, that you would around here because water doesn't collect in a lot of places. So they don't beat a lot of trails down and stuff. And again, it's wide open. So Mm -hmm. they're coming from all different directions all the time. And so we put these cameras up and I think we left them. I think this was like maybe late June or something like that, I think. Mm -hmm. And we come back like mid August and I've already got my mind made up that I'm not even going to hunt here at this point. I'm literally coming to get my cameras, but I brought the card reader just in case. So I go down there because uh, I was going to hunt with Josh Fox in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I go down and check the cameras and I'm like, holy shit. We had about 155 inch eight pointer. Uh-huh. Hell of an eight pointer coming in. He was huge. We had a few in that 130 to maybe pushing high thirties to one forty, just mm-hmm. bucks that I would never think about passing in velvet ever. Uh, gorgeous yeah. deer crab claw tens. And, um, even the little, you know, smaller, barely Pope and young bucks I'm looking at and like, what a gorgeous animal that would be to, to take in velvet. So, but what I have to explain is we put these cameras up and when I check those cards, literally you i got like a picture where there'd be that deer in the headlights look Mm -hmm. looking like oh shit and then the deer disappears and then two days later yep i have a deer come in and it's like spooky and you can tell by the time lapse and everything that is just still freaked out and then about a week later they're coming down that trail in daylight every damn day at like 5 30 not even close to to dark mm-hmm. freaking broad daylight and i'm like well shit this is going to be a cinch so i leave the cameras there well when i come back the same thing happens only it's a little worse this time yeah but they were still coming in and when i went back you know to check them that second time we took like 10 more cameras and Mm. freaking stuck them up everywhere. And, uh, some of them worked, some of them didn't. Um, and the deer got spooky. Well, by the time we went back down there to hunt, we went and checked the cards. I think it was, uh, Matt, do you remember if we checked the cards on the Friday or if we checked them that Saturday after, I feel like we might've checked them that Friday. I don't remember how early we got there for for that i don't know if we went down early separate or if it was that you know you know what we couldn't have checked them on friday because we got down there kind of later that evening and me and you went and just sat in a completely different area of the park um, just to kind of scout um so we would have checked them the next day but when we checked them i mean there was almost nothing coming in and you're talking about you know, this is on a bridal trail where 
horses and people go down and mm-hmm. stuff. And, but I just, once they, it, it is my belief that not only do deer feel pressure, but they can, I believe they can smell your intentions that those little like, uh, hormones or whatever you put off pheromones, pheromones, what? Yeah. yeah. Not, not hormones. Um, I mean, they're hormone, but I mean, that's yeah, what like, they like excitement and different stuff. Well, yeah. while we see excitement, they might be able to smell a certain kind of excitement. Like when you're excited to go kill something or whatever. And yeah. I, I know that's really like <laughs> deep kind of potheadish thinking, but it, I really do think that they can sense those things because they just, I mean, they freaking left, man. We did not see a deer that morning at all. And then as some people might know, we hit the jackpot of the freaking century. Uh, yeah. Killed a piebald buck that on evening public land. on public land opening day with a bow um that so we had never scouted you know, before like that was one of the areas yeah we'd, we'd never, never seen or anything gone so yeah so the other thing i'll talk about um that kind of goes against what i said before that i me and matt have gotten into quite a bit is mobile hunting um that's not just for all the public land guys that are better than everybody that is also for small parcel farm guys that want to saddle hunt or, you know, hang and hunt or do a hang and hunt, use a climber or whatever. But when you can change up where you're sitting, that is, I mean, it's worth its weight in gold, man. I mean, it makes a world of difference being able to like, you know, if, if, you know, like at a pinch point, you want to sit at a pinch point one day, but later on you're noticing deer come in from a different area and you can go and, you know, remove your stand and go up and get in a tree. And it helps with being able to work right winds too. Like, well, that's the big, I mean, that, that, that's, the, that's the biggest key part of that is that, you know, if you, if you've got a, a wind that's working one day, but not working another, and you have a stationary ladder stand or, you know, whatever you're, you're kind of SOL'd on that, but with, with a, a hanging bang set or, you know, hanging hunt or whatever you want to call them, you, you have the ability to move around pretty easily and pretty comfortably quickly. And, you know, there's there's tons of different stuff out there like i mean there's lone wolf there's saddles there's uh you know there's guys who sell just plates that attach to trees now where you can slide a stand onto it um in different areas of the you know on your small parcel if you really want to look at doing stuff like that so there, there's a lot of opportunity for people to move around and be able to you know work winds and get in you know that's either closer to bedding or in an area that you can see those deer traveling through day in and day out. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've made use of all kinds of different stuff, man. I'm, I'm still, Matt's going to hate me for even talking about this, but I'm still trying to find my, my way with this whole saddle thing. I think what I, (laughs) what I was using wasn't working out as well for me, but, um, I think a platform or something like that, or, the platform that comes on the stick now they have a damn stick with the platform built onto it and they're just all kinds of shit that you can use but anywho any kind of way where you can move and get in a different tree to play a different wind or 
you know, maybe the deer are feeling pressure over here and now they're using this area or, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that really helps a lot. And again, you know, Matt and Luke really got me into that other, I mean, I always used a climber and, Mm -hmm. you know, most of us have, and it's nice. They're the most comfortable by far, but they're also louder and, you know, there's a lot. They're heavier more. too than he- compared to yeah. like some of the stuff that's out now too. Like, yeah. I mean, you talk about some of the the you know just platform stands that you can get now, and they're just they're lighter than air. And oh yeah, you know, if if any if anybody's like me, you know you you have a climber, but you haven't upgraded it for a while, and it's a pain in the ass to carry in because you've got your backpack, you've got your bow, yeah, you've got your climber, and you know, you, I, I see this every, every deer season, uh, where we go and hunt guys pack in their tree stand, guys pack out their tree stand, and you can just tell it's grueling for them. Cause they're not, you know, up until probably the past, what, five years, like previous to five years, those things were heavy. Like, I mean, oh, sure. it wasn't, I mean, just until like the past five to six years, did they really start thinking like, oh, we can put these things a lot lighter oh, yeah. than, than what uh, we've traditionally had them at. Now, I will say lighter always means less comfortable and less mm-hmm. roomy. Mm-hmm. Um, that climber, old Matt here, got me into this public land deal. And I remember attaching my backpack to my climber and we did, I mean, there were multiple times where we'd be like a mile and a half, two miles back. And that's, dude, I got like 65 pounds on my mm-hmm. back with all the stuff I'm carrying. I'm like, my shoulders are just roasted. Spent. Yeah, they're roasted. So um, after, and I remember I even posted a picture of my setup on the page and people were making fun of me, posting a pic of that dude with like the, <laughs> you could fit a damn Hereford bull in this damn backpack that this guy had on his back. It was huge. But, uh, I mean, the mobile hunting game has really, really helped me as far as like the hanging hunt sticks are mm-hmm. by far just freaking amazing, man. They, they go on the tree easy, go off the tree easy. Generally it's super quiet. You run into different situations where you might get a little squeak or something here and there, but I get that with climbers too. Um, you got anything you want to add there, Mr. Amrod? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to get used to, I'm, I don't have huge feet, but when you got boots on and you're, you know, sometimes trying to get, you know, your stance right for archery, some of these smaller platforms to save the weight can be a little bit, uh, you know, takes some getting used to, but overall I think it's helped my i guess attitude trying to just go in i mean the climber i don't think it takes necessarily that much longer it just seems like it's more to get set up because you got to adjust the cables and then you got to shimmy on up and then you got to make sure you can either got your backpack on your back while you're trying to do it and pull yourself up it's just Mm -hmm. i like like you can just there's three steps or two steps however you, you know your setup is and then you go and you you're using your lineman's rope and then you hang your next one and then you can go as high as you want. A lot of times I know Chris has gotten big into using just two sticks. I'll, I'll find myself using three a lot of times. 
because that'll get me high enough depending on the canopy what's you know what kind of trees you're in and stuff or the terrain if you're on top of a ridge versus halfway down it how right. far you mm-hmm. got to get up but just the options you're no longer looking for that tree that's got no branches all the way up or looking you know did i bring a saw you know, have mm-hmm. the time you can't cut on public or anything like that so i think it's just your options you can go wherever you want i've seen some of those videos with those guys going up trees that are about five inches in diameter maybe it's like mm, that's a little sketchy but <laughs> i guess if you need to so yeah it's deal it's nice i found um I think I might be a little faster with my climber than I am my hanging hunt setup. Possibly I've not timed it yet, but I noticed that I get home a little quicker when I'm using my climber. I think I used my climber, uh, twice this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not normally I save it for gun seasons. So I have that rail for a rest, but yeah. I think I hunted, I hunted every single sit of gun season which I hunted every single day of gun season um, as well. And then two sits each, you know, Saturday Mm -hmm. and Sunday. But that being said, actually, I didn't get to hunt the Sunday morning because somebody went and got drunk during our deer camp. (laughs) But uh, Not me, not me. (laughs) I hope he listens to this. (laughs) But um, I went out that evening. But anywho, I sat on the ground every sit but one and saw freaking deer constantly it was awesome um so uh which that's another thing that i guess i should probably hit on that i started doing this year and i'm not trying to be like the hunting public or anything but sometimes a ground sit is your best friend Mm -hmm. because you can literally take a folding chair or which i need to invest in something good for sitting on the ground because a five gallon bucket is the most horrible thing ever burn your back well it's it's not even the sitting the sitting wasn't the bad part it's getting in and out of the damn woods without the handle flopping onto the bucket and oh yeah i didn't think about that or you know you touch a twig with that thing and it's the loudest thing of all time so um it's very difficult and it's they're really not it's lighter than air but it's still not fun to -hmm. carry through the woods because you're trying to maneuver it and you got your bow in your other hand and it's Mm -hmm. and a lot of times what i was doing um one thing that i have to stress is all these deer use corn to maneuver and you know access different areas and stuff i don't believe that they just go lay in the middle of the corn like people think um because they'd roast or freeze like there's no overhead cover with that being Mm -hmm. said and it's too thick like it's not during that time of the year they're not trying to get where it's thickest because you can sneak up on them at that point with that being said when you can sneak through a cornfield and sit two or three rows in and watch a bean field that isn't cut or that was recently cut or something you're now you've got the game in your favor and you didn't even have to climb a tree and lay your scent in this area. You can sit in different spots. Mm -hmm. And, um, I passed multiple deer on the ground this year, uh, with a gun and with a bow. And it was just, it was a neat experience. And you're, I mean, you're right there with the animal. Oh yeah. That's why blind hunting 
is really cool. Now take the blind away. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's badass. So um, it's a good way to mobile hunt and do your little quickie hunts and stuff and get in and get out quick and quiet um, and not pressure those animals. I can't say it enough. Good deal. Good deal. Well, I think we covered all the all the topics this evening. So, yeah, um, I guess we'll start with Matt. You got any concluders? Um, I think just to I, I can't reiterate it enough with small parcels and, and especially late season small parcels with a zero cover. Um, those deer can see quite a long ways. So that movement, like Chris was talking about with a bucket and it's, you know, the noise. And, and I think your movement noise, all that stuff is, is 10 times more important in January than it is. And, you know, opening weekend. Um, so just anytime you can get in or out quietly and quickly, like there will be times because you can see so far that I'll get down even with five, six, seven, eight minutes left of daylight, just so that I can make darn sure, especially if I have like corn or something out like this time of year that I can get out of there before those deer come in that I can't shoot because of light. And I don't want to get stuck up in there for 45 minutes to an hour, or then ultimately have to blow them out. So I would say just access, not even necessarily sneaking in a back way or something, just be cognizant of how and when you're going in and pay attention because there's a decent chance if you do have deer there they are watching you while you're getting in there so i agree good deal good deal chris uh all all i want to say is you know you could look at this politically you could look at this from hunting fishing um think about the things that you are almost against i would say things that don't make sense to you that you don't understand and then try to understand them. Lots of times that means inviting people into your life that you might not normally. Um, I do this with sort of like different cultures of people oftentimes just so, I mean, I, I find it interesting to learn about people and you could, you know, you could apply this to the Democrat versus Republican thing. You could apply this, um, you know, there's a lot of this stuff in the media right now, but uh, you you really could apply this to what I see is the private land people and the public land people think that they're like so different. And I hear both like I hear all the private land guys like, what would you shoot that for? And then the, the public land guys are are looking at the private land guys like, oh, you hunt over corn or, you know, whatever. I killed my deer on public land, so I'm so much better. And if I had private land or you know, I'd be amazing. And it's like, well, I think mm-hmm. if we sit back and look at the way you hunt versus the way I hunt, I think a public land guy is going to struggle tremendously when they go to private land, just like myself, mm-hmm. I have struggled on public land coming from private land because it's completely different. And, and that's the way, you know, when I look at different cultures all over the world and I look at politics and I look at all these kinds of beliefs I look at um, a lot of times and, you know, I hate to open up all these cans of worms, but one of the pet peeves I have is when one of my Christian friends tells an atheist they're going to hell. And it's like, well, you're not 
helping things right now. You're not trying to understand their point of view. Mm -hmm. You're telling them how they need to be or how to feel or whatever. And you're also not setting a good example. So my advice to people, my concluder, whatever you want to call it, is try to invite things into your life that you normally wouldn't and try to understand them. And it might help you out in the long run, be a better person, or at least a better hunter, fisherman, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so talking about uh, my concluders, just talking about inviting, um, because that's a perfect segue. If you have the ability, invite a new hunter, fisherman, woman, whatever, out in the field with you uh, in the coming year, make it a New Year's resolution. It's a helpful thing to do. Uh, to piggyback off of what Chris said, though, um, there's actually a book that I refer to many of my clients about perspective and understanding it and if you, even if you don't agree with somebody it doesn't mean that you can't understand where they're coming from with something yeah. it's called the noticer it's called the noticer by andy andrews it's an excellent book it's a short read i really encourage everybody to read it um it, it's it's it, it's a great it's a great book um second thing uh along with what you said there is a new administration hold your elected officials accountable um, there is plenty of things that are that is going to look at changing over the next course of the next few months. Um, don't believe everything you read in the media. Don't believe everything you read online. Make sure you're, you know, you're talking with people who don't have the same beliefs uh, as you. I think it's helpful, just like Chris said. Uh, there is plenty of conservation topics that are going to be coming up over the next four years. There just are because uh, of how things go between different uh, platforms and that kind of stuff. That being said, a um, couple things that you can do if you wanna help conservation in your state. Um, waterfowl season is currently going on. Uh, a very important thing is waterfowl habitat. If you're a private landowner, the USDA through any administration puts out dollars to your state. This stuff goes unused sometimes. USDA puts out um, money to the state to do wildlife habitat on your properties. Contact your wildlife management officers, contact your local USDA office to see if they have dollars and what programs you can implement on your properties. It's important. Third and final thing, the uh, wildlife officer that was uh, shot during the poaching incident in Ohio, uh, I believe he has been released from the ICU and he is uh, in a regular hospital bed he still has a long way to recovery but you know what I'm, I'm happy to see that he is uh in better health and as always uh we need to respect our game wardens they're out there doing their jobs and quite honestly if you don't like it uh more than likely it's probably because something's not gone right and if something's not gone right do some reflection on that yep so other than that uh this has been fueled by the outdoors we've been your hosts rick cates chris leppert and we were joined tonight by Matt Amrine. Matt, thank you again for joining us. Always a pleasure, guys. Great, great job, guys. And uh, we will talk at you guys later. Bye. And that will do it for our podcast today. Please remember to subscribe, like, review on all major podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple, Google, TuneIn, CastBox, Spotify, and all other major 
podcasting platforms. As always, we are available for contact at theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. That is theeliteoutdoors, the number one, at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you next time.